Well, good morning. Um, I'm Pastor Chuck here at uh, this church and uh, <clears throat> filling in today. Last week, Pastor Don was talking about taking off and taking a little break. And I said, you don't want to be having a sermon hanging over your head during this week if you're going to be on break. And I said, how about let me preach? And uh, so he said, well, that's a big risk, but uh, okay. I week long, I should have enough faith to trust God to handle that. And uh, so he's uh, back and delighted for it. We're, uh, we're in Jonah, the book of Jonah. By the way, um, Pastor Don, I, I, I was one of those guys out there this week, Friday morning. And uh, I was down at Walmart. Boy, that's an experience. I asked 10 people for the item I was looking for for my grandson. I, I know how they get all those people down there. It's grandparents. Grandparents that are pushing and shoving and trying to find those bargains and those deals who carry that little slip of paper that grandma has given them. <laughs> and said, go find this thing. And uh, boy, believe it or not, I finally got it. And uh, so... Now I know why you go out and do that. I haven't done that for years and years. I've done that twice, and only since I've become a grandparent. <laughs> so uh, that maybe will tell it. Well, we are in the book of Jonah, and uh, as I read this passage today in Jonah 3, uh, I thought of a Bible study that we were in a number of years ago. Some of you have heard me talk about a study that we became familiar with a number of years ago called a Bible Overview. One of the most fascinating and, and really fun studies we've ever done. Uh, we take people through the Bible from cover to cover in five sessions. We do three in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament. We get the big uh, picture of what's going on with certain themes. The second time we did this, we had seven of us couples who were together. Three of them were from a Roman Catholic uh, orientation, and uh, <clears throat> one of them the Spirit of God was really working in his heart. I remember after about the second session, he came over to me when we finished, and he said, you know, this is so great. He said, this book is just, I just can't believe it. He said, not a day goes by that I don't spend an hour reading in the Bible. And he came to a real faith in Christ during that time. And uh, we continue to have a tremendous uh, relationship, and God is just doing things in his life. And later on, he told me, he said, you know, uh, I took over kind of a business that my father had started. And he said, for years and years, I just gave myself to the business. So I was that hard driving businessman. And he said, uh, I ruined it in my relationship with my children. And he said, I'm asking God now for a second chance. I'm asking God for a second chance to build the bridges to have the relationship I should have with my grown children. And uh, we keep in touch. But I thought, this is Jonah. Jonah, is, we find out today, has a second chance. And God is a God of not only a second chance, but a third and fourth and fifth. And many of us who have walked with God for a number of years think it's almost uncountable. God doesn't give up on us. So if you turn in your Bible to the book of Jonah... We're going to look at a few things in chapter 3. Now, if you're like me, 
Uh, Jonah is sometimes a little difficult to find. I know it's way back there. Uh, It's towards the end of the Old Testament. If you find uh, the book of Daniel, just keep going to the right. And uh, if you come to the book of Matthew, you've gone too far. Back up, go to the left. And somewhere in there, um, with a little bit of luck, you should hit Jonah. Just four short chapters, and we're going to look at that. But first, let's pray and ask God to guide us. Father, we are grateful for the Bible. We're grateful that you speak to us. We're grateful for the accounts that you've written down and all that we can learn from them. What we realize, it won't mean much unless you do something because we're just not capable of understanding spiritual truth apart from your Holy Spirit. So come and show us what you want us to have. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just a fast review on Jonah. Four short chapters, and uh, Pastor Don has been preaching away on it. Jonah was called by God to go and speak uh, a message to the, at Nineveh. The Syrians lived there, and instead he took off on a boat for a Mediterranean cruise headed over towards Tarshish, what some people refer to as sort of Spain, possibly. And in that process, we find out that uh, a big storm erupted, and uh, they did everything they could on this boat, but they were getting so desperate that uh, they finally realized they've got to find out, is there somebody here that uh, is the culprit? And uh, the captain went to Jonah because Jonah was down really sleeping, woke him up and said, uh, tell us what's going on. He told him what it was, and he said, I'm the guy. They sacrificed him, literally. They threw him overboard. God picked up a great big uh, fish, and Jonah got to spend three days in the belly of this big fish. Oh, Slimeville, if you will. And uh, it'll be interesting when you get to heaven to ask Jonah what that was like. I'm sure it was not too pleasant of an experience. Pastor Don spoke about that last week. And finally, Jonah gets right with God in the belly of this fish. And the fish moves over and just regurgitates, vomits, gets Jonah out. He does not want to have a prophet who's right with God in his stomach. And uh, so now we read in chapter 3 what goes on to the next part of this drama. This is a, this is a talking chapter. There's three parts of here that I've put. Basically, you could put it in two. Jonah goes to Nineveh, and we find the response. But uh, I've broken it up into three. First of all, God speaks to Jonah, and then uh, Jonah goes and he speaks to the people, and then the king we hear the reaction of the king of that great big city and what he does, and then we finally get God's response. So in chapter uh, in 3, verse 1, we find God, first of all, speaking to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to it the message I give you. If you just flip over to chapter 1, you will find the words, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So the second time God speaks to Jonah, just go and speak my message. Here is his second chance. I thought it was interesting as I reflected on this. 
the Bible deals with such real people, it's, it's almost frightful. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you go to the Bible with a great big spiritual halo around it and, uh, and all, but you find such real people in this book. Uh, and when God, many times in the record, goes to someone to do a job for him, he constantly hits resistance. I mean, they're real people. For instance, when God wanted to move his people out of Egypt and go into this promised land, it was this time, he, he went off to the side and got this man Moses. And there was this burning bush, and you can read about this in the book of Exodus. <clears throat> and Moses steps aside, and he has this encounter with God, and you find Moses is constantly saying, no, not me, God. No, not me, God. No, not me, God. And he brings up every reason in the book that he can't. And Moses is a very reluctant man to take up and go do what God wants him to do. When they got ready to establish the kingdom, Samuel is on his way to find this man Saul. Saul's going to be the first king of the kingdom. And when he goes to the town and they're looking, they can't find Saul. Saul is hiding way back in the baggage. He's not up front saying, here I am, ready to serve God, be what he wants me to do. He's hiding. He's a very reluctant man to step forward and do what God wants him to do. Later on, when the Hebrews get into a batch of trouble, it's a period of what we call the judges. Same song, second verse, a little bit louder, just gets worse and worse. That's the way the cycles go through the book of Judges. God reaches down, and periodically he'll pull people up to go lead and give victory to his people. And one of them is Gideon. Now, Gideon... God comes to him, and he says, oh, man, Gideon, you're my man. And Gideon says, I'm not so sure. This is a little paraphrase of the material. And then finally, Gideon says, God, if you're really going to do all this, and if you're sure, i gotta, I got to have some proof. And so he goes into this fleece thing that you hear about. He says, well, God, if you're really on it, uh, I'll put some dew on this thing. Well, there's dew on it. It's dry every place else. Now, God, if you're really in it, Let's go a second time. Put water every place else and don't put it on the fleet. God has to bear with his servants finally to get Gideon to do something. And Jeremiah, one of his prophets, Jeremiah says, God, I'm not going. I'm just a kid. I'm not man enough for that job. And God sort of looks him over and says, say not I'm a child. You will go to everyone I send you, and whatever I speak to you, you'll, you'll speak to them. And Jeremiah goes. You get in the New Testament, and you got a biggie. The biggie is, is Jesus is coming, and Zechariah, an old man, is in the temple, and he has a wife his age too. And an angel appears and says, Zechariah, your wife's going to have a baby. He's going to be a very special child. It's going to be John the Baptist. Zechariah says, God, uh, would you explain this to me? And he doesn't really want to have a part of it. And God says, yeah, I'll give you nine months to think about it. You won't be able to speak. You won't be able to say a word. So for nine months, this man lived in a silent world, able to meditate and draw. Just ordinary people that when God says, I got something for you to do, whoa. Now, if you were out running an operation like that, you probably wouldn't record most of these, would you? God does. God does. And there's such a tremendous lesson of the way he uses people. 
And some of you have experienced this. God's asked you to do something, and you've been reluctant to go. Some of you have even run from God. And some of you are wondering, you know, I've run so much, and I've resisted God so much. Would he give me another chance? I think you're going to find encouragement in this passage when you realize how compassionate and forgiving God is. So, here's Jonah. God says, you go and give the message I give you. So let's see what happens. Jonah speaks to the people in verses 3 through 5. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. So he comes into this city. It's a huge city. Some people believe it's probably about the size of London. Uh, It had a huge uh, uh, wall around it. It was 100 feet high. They could put three chariots on the top, abreast, and run around it. They had a huge, uh, several acres of the palace off the center. They had fields where they had cattle. It was a large thing. That's why it took time to move through this. And Jonah hits the gates, and he starts going, and he he steps in, and here he gives this tremendous message, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, how would you like to be the messenger who gets to bring that kind of news? Huh? Walk in the room and say, hey, guys, I got a word for you. Oh, what is it? In a few days, it's all going to end. You're going to burn. That's it. Destruction. You know, you know, most of us, we, if we're going to be messengers, give us a good message. Give us something we can go with and people will be encouraged. Hey, Thacker's had a little baby girl. Number four, love it. Okay, we're going to send you on another bad message. We'll send you with a bad message. And we all say, no, get somebody else. I don't want to be involved in that. Now, he proclaims a message of doom. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. This huge city is going to get it. Now look in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. They heard the message, and they said, This man, speaking from God, their response was to God, and they believed God. And how did they show it? Well, they declared a fast. They quit eating. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was a way that you showed how serious you were about changing something. You took off your ordinary things, and you put on this coarse material that would grind into your body and make you extremely uncomfortable. And that was a part of showing, I'm serious about this. I'm miserable because I should be miserable, because I need to change. And this is what they did. What an impact. What an impact this messenger of God made. And they needed this messenger. They needed this messenger. Now, you know, God, people have said, you know, if God would speak to me, I'd listen. I'd know. Some of you have heard me say this before. God has very clearly spoken six different ways at least throughout the history of mankind. The first one is in creation. Where did this all come from? You go to the Bible and it says, the heavens declare the glory and the work of God. 
And we find out God did this thing, this creation. He's put it on display. And we learn a lot about God just by the creation we have. The second way God spoke to us is a people, the Jewish people. The Jewish people cannot be explained apart from God. Their origin, their existence today, the whole history of these Hebrew Jewish people cannot be explained apart from their God. Another thing he did is he spoke, and it was recorded down. He gave us the Bible. Peter says, the scripture came not in old time by the will of man. Guys didn't say, you know what we need to do? We need to have some holy scriptures. They did not come up with that. The scripture came in old time, not by the will of man, but by the Holy Spirit. God spake through them. And we have today the Bible. God did that thing. Then we come to the New Testament, and we have the biggest announcement of all. God says, okay, I am going to... My Father, I know where I've come from. I know where I'm going. And he spoke authoritatively. And they killed him for it. They killed him. But he rose again. We have Jesus Christ entering into the history of man to speak to us. Well, another thing we have is this thing called a new creation. You think the first creation of this whole world was something? I'll tell you, God says that his new creation in the lives of people is this powerful. In fact, the same power that did the creation makes people totally new. And so with the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a message that God comes in when a person responds and turns to God. And God says, which are born not of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God enters in. And many of you, most of you here have experienced that. All of a sudden, you've given your life to Christ. Christ comes in. And there's a whole new world out there because you're new from the inside out. And you meet people like to say, that's a God speak. And then there's also the sixth thing. There's this thing called the church. It, it, it's what is referred to as the body of Christ. All of these who have given their life to Christ are referred to as the body of Christ with Christ as the head. It's an organism. It's organic. Oh, it has some organization to it. And some, some of us have had the privilege of meeting members of this body all around the world. I'll never forget the first time I shook hands with an Egyptian who, who, who could not even speak English, and we prayed together. And there, as he prayed in a language that I had absolutely no idea what he was saying, but there was a spirit between us, and I knew we were talking to God. And some of us have had that experience. Culturally different, can't even speak the language, but there is a bond that is even greater than blood because it's of the Spirit of God. And it's all around the world. And people, from there you meet them, and they do anything and everything for you. You've never met them before because they consider you a brother, a sister. It's this church that God does. God speaks, but you know what? For the most part, for the most part, when God wants to speak to somebody with a message of life and death called the gospel, he's chosen to use people. 
He's chosen to use people like you and me. Jesus said in John 20, he said, peace I leave with you. I give you my peace as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So send I you. You can read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he says, God has given us a special ministry, and he calls it a ministry of reconciliation. Now, reconciliation implies that there is, at the present, something that's torn apart. People need to be reconciled, brought back together. And so sometimes we have a reconciliation in a marriage, husband and wife, torn apart. Sometimes we have to have a reconciliation in business. The thing's blown up, and you've got to bring somebody in and pull it back together. And God says, he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because God is holy, man is a sinful, and they need to be brought together. And Jesus on the cross does that. He brings man together with God. So Paul says to witness that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing the trespasses unto them, and now has committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. He says, we beseech you, we beg you, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Now that's a good message. That's the message that if you're a follower of Christ, God wants you to take. A message of hope. A message about this compassionate, forgiving God who says, I have great plans for you. And he chooses you and me to go do that. What an exciting thing. Wow. Are you reluctant with God's message? Are you faithful? Huh? Are you kind of like Jonah? Nope, I'm going the other way. Some of you have been praying for family members. Some of you in your businesses, some in your neighborhood, some of friends from over the years. And there's some of those that you think, someday I should. I know God wants me to talk with them. But no, I'm reluctant. Not going to do it. Maybe some other time will be better. We all struggle with that. Let's read on. The king speaks. When the news reached the king, this is verse 6 of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in dust. The king, first of all, personalized the message, and he said, I need to respond to God. And that's where it always starts. Me first, then them. Me first. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, he made this official. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. They're off food and drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. My goodness. They not only did it with themselves, but they, they put that ruffle stuff on their animals to show that all together we're in this. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Let them give it up. Give it up. Quit that violence and their evil ways. And then two words that are absolutely unbelievable. Who knows? 
Who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. We don't know for sure. God said he's going to destroy us. God said he, he's had it with us. But oh, let's plead and maybe God won't make it. Maybe he'll suspend his judgment. See, the captain on that ship in the first chapter, the captain went to Jonah and said, how can you sleep? Get up, he's talking to Jonah, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. We don't know for sure. But maybe if you get before God and you pray and you get right, maybe he will take note of us and we will not perish. Some of you know the story back in the Old Testament about Abraham. Abraham had a nephew called Lot. Lot went over to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was a, a, a rotten, wicked, evil place. And God said, it's got to be destroyed. He's talking with Abraham. And Abraham is listening to this, that God's going to destroy. He's going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, ooh, Lot's over there. So he says to God, he says, God, he said, uh, now, if there's 50 righteous people over there, you surely won't destroy that whole city. I mean, 50 righteous people? God says, okay, if there's 50, I won't destroy it. Ah, Abraham says, wow. God, how about 45? If there were 45? Well, no. Well, 40. No, okay. 30. Yeah. Oh, God, I know I'm pushing it, but 20. What, what about 20? No, I, okay. God, last time, if there's 10 righteous people over there, surely you wouldn't wipe out the city. I said, okay, if there's 10, I won't bring judgment on them. They couldn't find 10. They couldn't find 10. But you see the pleading of a man and you see God's compassion okay to cooperate. Abraham pleads and it makes a difference. David, after he committed his sin with Bathsheba, had this child out of wedlock. King did this. And David does something strange. The child is struggling to live. The little baby's struggling to live. And David goes in and he fasts and he prays and, and, and his attendants don't even know what to do with David and, and then the child dies. And David hears about this and he gets up and he cleans himself all up and he goes out and he's all fresh and ready to go and they're, they're kind of bewildered. Now wait a minute. The child was struggling and he gets, he's, he's fasting, he's praying. The child dies and he cleans up and goes on with life. And so they asked David, and David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. Who knows? In this case, no, the child did not live. And David accepted that. Oh, there's other parts. Who knows? God may suspend his judgment. God is compassionate, and we're going to see that even more. But in that last part of 9, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not.
perish. Are you right with God? Do you need to repent? Is there part of your life that you're dabbling with sin, playing with sin? God said to you before, hey, you need to get right. You need to stop that. You need to quit that. It's the clock's ticking on God's judgment to fall on you. 2 Peter writes, and Peter's looking down, he's talking about the end times when the whole world is going to be burned to a crisp. People are saying, well, when's that going to come? I mean, they've been talking like that for years. It says, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. He's, he's, he's going to be right on time, but he's not willing that any should perish. That's why his patience is there. He's still saying, come, let's be reconciled. Come, let's be right with one another. Well, God responds in verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. You know, so many people say that Old Testament, God is all about destroying people and judging people. He's a mean, cranky old God, like an old man who's just a big old grouch. And if you don't do what he says, bango, he gets you. Hey, God is just, yes. And we should be grateful for his justice, but he's full of compassion and he's full of mercy and it affects that justice. You put that together and you have a wonderful combination. Here we see it in this verse. God responds. He spared Jonah. Now he spares Nineveh. He's a God of a second chance. And I thought of that story. I thought of over in Luke 15 where Jesus talks about how, how eager God is for the lost to be found. Jesus said, I came not, I, I came, not came to the righteous, but I came to save the lost. And then he ends it with that story of the prodigal son, that, that kid who said, Dad, I want it all. I'm going to go over and live the way I want to live. His dad did it. He gave him his inheritance and he took off and blew it. When he came to his senses, he said, I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He had a big celebration. Son has come home, and it's a picture of God. Hey, they've come, come to me, and there's joy in heaven over a sinner who repents. Two or three weeks ago, we had a friend of ours, Bill Hansel, who was here. Bill was down in Australia with us in the 70s. He was with Campus Crusade for Christ. They had a great ministry down there. Became good friends, been in touch with them since we've both returned back. Bill was visiting with us. Went out to lunch after church. We're catching up on the family and all. And Bill told the story. Uh, he's got four daughters and a boy. One boy. Told the story of how his son got caught up and was involved in drug abuse. Substance abuse for 10 years of his life. 
10 years of his life giving himself to drugs. That rotten way of life. Bill said, he said he was in a hotel room. Don, you're going to like this. He was, in a, he was in a hotel room, a cheap hotel room, and there was a Gideon Bible. And he pulled open the Gideon Bible, and he did something that, you know, everybody says, well, you're not supposed to do it that way, but he just opened it up and started reading. Opened it up to Exodus chapter 30. If you read Exodus chapter 30, it's instructions that God has given about their new worship system. It's talking about the incense that's going to be burned. It's talking about the wash basin to keep your hands clean. It's talking about the money that's to be given. It's talking about the oil that they use. It's not a place you would send anybody to read to get right with God. You just don't, don't do that. But that's where he opened. And as he started reading down through there, the Spirit of God just started blowing him apart inside. That anointing oil and that incense, it's like my drugs, it's like my cigarettes. And he took them over, took them to the toilet and flushed them down. He said, I got to stop it. I got to quit. Got rid of a bunch of the rest of the stuff he had. And then he got on the phone, called home. Dad, Mom, I'm tired of it. I've given my life back to God. Can I come home? (laughs) They said, you bet. So he starts on his way home. Bill told us, he said, well, he said, I was thinking about this, and this passage in Luke 15 came to my mind about that prodigal son coming back. And he said, Billy came home, and he told us what he'd done, and he got right, apologized, and made things right. And he said, it's time to celebrate. Joy! Not, well, we'll see how it turns out here. We'll put you on probation for the next three years. Took 10 to go down. Now we're going to check it. No, none of that stuff. Braced him. Great. Prayed for him. Compassion. Compassion. God is a compassionate God. Lamentation says it is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. They're new today, folks. New hope today. We can live. Some of us, we've been drawing on those compassions and mercies for lots of years. Lots of years. I'm coming up to almost 50. Not home yet. Still drawn upon the compassion of God and His mercy as I walk and blow it. You know, we were talking afterwards about this. This Jonah is a character. He's going to be an interesting guy to talk to when you get to heaven. About that belly of the fish experience alone. You know, just to say, Jonah, what was that like? It must have been the pits. And I'll bet Jonah's going to say, yeah, it really wasn't too pleasant. A Jonah, and the more we're going to put it together, I thought, you know what? We wouldn't keep a guy like that in church leadership. Would we? Would you like a leader in this church to say, would you go do this? And he goes the other direction. Would you like that? And you finally drag him back and he says, well, okay, I'll do that job you asked me to do. 
and then you're going to find out next week. You've got to come back next week. He goes on his pity pot. I mean, this guy really gets upset. <laughs> He's angry. He's mad at God again. Now, wouldn't you like a church leader like that? He won't even do what he's supposed to do. When he finally does it, and good things come as a result of it, he gets mad. And I thought, in church, we'd say, move that fella along. But not God. God doesn't work that way. God's a God who's compassionate, and he's merciful, and he's a God of a second chance. So where are you? Where are you? Where are you personally? You need a second chance, third chance? God is there. Yield to him. Surrender. God, forgive me. I want to go your way. Got some sin you need to work with? Just stop in the sin. Show God. Hey, God, I mean business. I'm going to trash. I'm going to put on the support systems for the computer. Whatever I need to do, God, I'm going to show you I mean business. Forgive me. I want a new start. Where are you? Where are you in that? Got somebody you need to go talk to? God said, you're the messenger. You know the message. I want you to go to him. Maybe in the business, maybe in the family, maybe a neighbor, somebody else. You go to him and share the good news of my love. Where are you? Wherever it is, remember, God is there to work with you. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you that you forgive and you cleanse. and You make us new people. Thank you that we can be messengers. You've given us this high, holy, wonderful privilege to share good news with people about your great love in Jesus. Help us to be faithful in Jesus' name.